0: Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. It's a verse that many of you may be uh, familiar with. Some of you may not be familiar with. Um, I don't do this very often. Um, But today's one of those messages where we're going to look at Joshua chapter 1 in the introduction. And um, and then we're going to be, not necessarily all over the place. um, But we'll be looking at some different passages as we go through. So if you've got your Bibles, Joshua chapter 1. Would you go ahead and stand with us to honor the reading of God's Word? Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. You'll find these similar words. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. While we're there, let's just go ahead and read verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father, in Jesus' name I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. Father, open up our hearts that we might understand Lord, illuminate your word in our hearts and our minds, Lord, so that we might be changed by it. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. So last Sunday, we started this a new series called Foundations of the Faith. And so what we're trying to do is, is look at some of the most basic building blocks of what it means to be a follower of Christ and, and understand how, how all of those fit together. And there's nothing more foundational to our walk with Jesus than understanding the Scriptures. Having a foundation of how we view the Bible, whether or not we believe in the Scripture, whether or not we believe it truly is the Word of God. And then, because, well, here's here's why the Bible is so foundational. It shapes so many other areas of our faith. I mean, where do we learn about who Jesus is? Well, we learn about that from the Scriptures. Where do we learn about sin and how that affects us? Well, we, we, all of those major doctrines, we, we discover those from the Scriptures. And so we, we have to have a correct understanding of what the Scriptures are if it's going to frame every other, really, doctrine that we believe in. And so last week, we kicked it off thinking about this question. Hey, can I trust that what I hold in my hands, is, is it really the Word of God? If you weren't here last week, um, go back, it, the message was recorded, it's on our website, this one will be recorded uh, on, on the website as well. Um, and so that's where we started. But now here's the thing, did you know that it really does you no good for you to say, you know what, I believe that this really is the word of God, if you don't take it and apply it to your life. If you don't come under the scriptures, meaning that you obey them in your life. It's, it's kind of like this. Uh, I, I've, I've, I've done this many times in my life, and, and some of you, you may be there with me, maybe you, you've, you've, you've done this as well. How many of you have ever said, you know what, I know that I need to eat healthy, but then we don't do it, right? And so there, there are times that we know that we need to do something, but then we, we don't follow through with it, even though we know the truth about the situation. And sometimes that's the way we are with our scriptures. We know that we need to follow, and then we say that we believe that this is the Word of God, that this is God's Word to us, but then we don't we don't really want to follow it, we would rather do things our way. And Satan, you know, Satan is not a dummy. Satan is very intelligent in how he how he tricks and deceives so many Christians when it comes to whether or not we want to follow the teachings of the scriptures. Adam Hamilton, he's a pastor in Kansas. Uh, he wrote a book some time ago, um, and in that book, he made this following statement. Now, see if you could pick up what's wrong with the statement. He said the Bible is a document that is both divine and human. We know many of those authors' names. We learn of their character as we read their words. They were people who had a deep faith in God, and at the same time, they heard and understood God in light of their culture and times. The Bible is the timeless, inspired word from God Found within the writings and reflections of the human eye. If you didn't pick up on it, it's the last statement that really should trouble you. Here's a man who is pastoring a church and writing a book that is influencing lots and lots of people, saying that the Word of God is contained in the Scriptures, and you find the Word of God within the books of the Bible. We say, well, what's so wrong with that? Really what he's saying is that the Bible itself is not the Word of God, that there are certain messages within the Bible that is the Word of God. Therefore, you as the reader, you are the ones who are, are tasked with the responsibility of discovering what really is God's Word. That should frighten you, honestly. It should frighten every person that takes the Scriptures and reads it because now you have elevated yourself to a place that is above God, that is above the Scriptures, and now you get to dictate what you believe God said that goes for the rest of the world. That, that's a dangerous place to be. You never want to elevate yourself above the Scriptures so that you get to be the one who determines what really is what God said. And here's furthermore, John 1 asserts that Jesus is the Word, that the Word was with God and that the Word was God. And if you place yourself over the Word, you're placing yourself above Jesus, and therefore, you really are becoming God yourself. And that's idolatry, really, at its core. And so today, I want to start by walking through a couple of reasons while we shouldn't trust ourselves to be in authority over the Scriptures. Now, honestly, most people who uh, think they are, in, they are in authority over the Scriptures, they don't realize this, but, but oftentimes, if not most times, something else like our feelings or our culture or something like that, that drives our decisions more than anything else, okay? And so let's think about our feelings for just a moment. How many of you have ever said something like this? I feel like God is saying so-and-so, and so so I'm doing this. But then you look back maybe six months to a year later, and you said, boy, my feelings were wrong. Anybody ever done that? Man, I feel like this. And so you you go and you do it, and then you get a, a year into it, and then you find out, you know what? My feelings really were wrong. And so here's the point. Your feelings are not trustworthy. Your feelings will always mess up your judgment. Tim Keller. Um, Tim Keller, he, he, he says that this is a joke, but it's just really a powerful truth. He puts it this way. This is audience participation. How many of you, when you were 15 years old, can y'all remember that far back? How many of you, when you were 15 years old, you thought, you thought back to when you were 10 or 12, and you say, you know what? I really was a stupid child. I made some dumb decisions when I was 10 probably most everybody how many of you when you were 30 and I'm 36 and so that's where I am now I can look back to when I was 20 and I said man I made some stupid decisions when I was 20 years old I, I mean I'm just I really didn't know what I was talking about and then some of you are in this category now you're you're 50 or 60 and you could look back to when you're 30. And you say, you know what? I really made some dumb decisions when I was 30 years old. Now, now, if you're married and you're married when you're 30, that wasn't a dumb decision, okay? So don't say that. But you can look back and you can say, you know what? 20 years ago, I just made some decisions that I just really didn't know what I was doing. And Tim Keller said, I believe that if I get all the way to 130, I can look back to my 80-year-old self and say, man, I really made some dumb decisions when I was 80. And so... Here's here's kind of the punchline of the joke. So therefore, why would you trust your feelings to make decisions about the scriptures when in 10 years from now you're going to look back and call yourself stupid? Feelings will always mess up your judgment. We, we can never trust our feelings to be in control of who we are. Now here's the second reason we can't really trust ourselves to 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 really decide what's true of God. Our culture influences us way more than we realize. Culture gives you a grid through through the, a lens, if you will, by which you view things. You, use this as, as an example. Take a man who is born and lives in a Middle Eastern culture. You know, think like Iraq, Iran, or Iran, however you want to pronounce it, Afghanistan. In that culture, it is a very honoring culture like you know your honor it says so much about who you are as a person and so you take a man who lives in that culture he has say he has two huge desires within one desire is, is is he's just his 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 hormones sexually i mean he's just raging and then on the other hand he has this this desire that if man if anybody wrongs me i am going to pay them back i will i will get my revenge my honor is a is at stake here. If you live in that culture, here's, here's what you're going to say. My sexual desires are bad. Let me suppress those. But my honor is what I need to keep up. And so if somebody wrongs me, I need to go and uh, defend myself. And I need to be the uh, aggressor in the situation. Their culture would say that's right. But you, if you were to take that same man and he were to be brought up in North Carolina or in the United States of America, he has those same two desires. I want to, you know, uh, these strong sexual desires, and then I've got this this strong desire to get angry when I'm offended. If he grows up in America, you know what our culture is going to say to him? Express yourself sexually, that's who you really are. But you, you've got anger problems, you need to go to anger counseling. The same man, same desires, but the culture has dictated which one he really believes in. You, you, you see, your culture influences us in such a way that we begin to think our culture is the only reality. And what we're talking about when it comes to the authority of God's word is the reason that we can't trust our culture to do that is we want to take God's word and we want to, we're, we're saying that God's word is true no matter what culture you live in. And so if it's true here in the United States of America, it would be true in a Middle Eastern culture or a South Asian culture or any other culture that you find yourself in. These are the principles that are both timeless and unchanging. They would be be true no matter what culture you place yourself in. And so we don't let our culture dictate what we determine as true. And so those are some reasons we just don't let ourselves do that. And so let me give you two reasons. One's kind of like a, a philosophical or an apologetic reason uh, that we should be willing to surrender to the authority of the Scriptures. And then second, the, the last point is going to be very practical in, in how we look at that. And so two reasons we should be willing to surrender to the authority of the Scriptures. First of all, just kind of a, you know, a no-brainer here. If Jesus surrendered to the authority of the Scriptures, I think we should as well. Many of us have have heard this, but I think it it bears repeating. Remember when Jesus began his public ministry, he was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit, and there in the, in the wilderness he was tempted. Y'all remember Satan coming to him on multiple occasions, tempting him. And some of you realize have have gotten this, and some of you don't. But let just stay with. You. What did Jesus do every time that the enemy came or Satan came and he tempted Jesus? How did Jesus respond? The scriptures; it is written in, in the graphes, in the writings. Here has here is what God is saying. Jesus was saying that there is something divine about what was written in the Old Testament. It was so it was so divine to Jesus that when when the enemy tempted him, it's where he went to to fight off the attacks that Satan was bringing in his life. Matthew chapter twelve. Just thinking about the Old Testament, and this is Jesus again. And it's very telling for those who do not believe in miracles. Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, Hey, Jesus, give us a sign that we might believe in you. And here's what, here's the gist of what Jesus said. Jesus said, No sign is going to be given to you except the sign of the son of Jonah who was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, What happened in 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 what we read in the Old Testament about Jonah? That's really true. You know, and many times in our culture, we have people who say, man, there's no way that Jonah, and and these are Christians, people who claim to be followers of Jesus. They would say, there's no way that Jonah could have lived inside the belly of a fish for for three days and, and three nights. But if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you claim that he's your master, he believed it. Here's this man, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. And then here's where you get to, to people like Adam Hamilton, and the pastor that I read about in the beginning. There are some people who believe that only what God said in the Bible really is the Word of God. I, I've got my Bible here. If I were to turn over to the Gospels, the words of Jesus would be in what color? Red. Red. Now, now sometimes we take that, we, hey, this is what Jesus said right here. But the truth of the matter is, if it's in the Bible, it's on the same level as what Jesus said. It, it's all inspired by him. I remember was, when I was in college, I was um I was taking a class, Old Testament theology, Dr. Logan Carson. Um you love to hear Dr. Carson speak. He was born blind. He's African-American. And just one of my favorite professors in, in college. Super brilliant guy. We were taking a pop quiz one day. He, he was a tough professor, too. We were taking a pop quiz one day, and he, he asked a, um, a uh, extra credit question. What were the first words of God? No, no problem in the beginning. turned it in. Well, got my results back. I got it wrong. Technically speaking, the first words that God said is, let there be light." You understand what I'm saying? And so the first words of the Bible are in the beginning, but the first words that God actually spoke that are recorded was, let there be light." Now, I want to show you this, and then I'll, I'll go back and make a statement about this. I think it's going to be on the screen. Part of it is it's going to be on the screen anyway matthew 19 jesus is talking about marriage and divorce it's just about every wedding that you've been to you've heard the minister he almost almost always i I do it in every wedding he quotes genesis chapter 2 verse 24 therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife right y'all heard this and there it is um And so the Pharisees come to him and they're they're questioning him about divorce. And here's what Jesus said, Matthew 19: Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now, who is that? Come on, God made them, right? But he also said, and the one who created them would be God. And God said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But now here's the thing. If you go back to Genesis chapter two verse twenty four, that's not one of those situations where God is speaking. You follow me? That that's not one of those situations where the author of Genesis, who, who is Moses, is recording something that God said. You say, "Well, what are you trying to say, preacher?" I'm trying to say that what Jesus is implying here is that everything that is written in the Old Testament, not just what, what not just what. The authors recorded God saying that everything that they wrote as well, Jesus is equating that as being the voice of the Lord as well. He's saying it is all inspired. And so maybe what I should do is go back to my professor, Dr. Carson, and say, hey, I really did get this right, because Jesus is equating that all of the Old Testament is coming literally from the mouth of God. And so in other words, we could say it this way. Jesus didn't really believe in red-letter Bibles. The words in red aren't any aren't any more important than the words in black. Man, we like to pick and choose, don't we? Uh, I like this, but I don't really believe Jesus when he says this. But here's a great question. If you're claiming that you're following Jesus, but you reject the very operating principle of his life, how does that work? See what I'm saying? If you claim that you're a follower of Jesus and that you love Him, but then you're going to reject the Scriptures by which He says that He is living His life, how does that work in your life? In reality, you're not following the Jesus of the Scriptures. You're you're following a Jesus that you made up in your own mind. I can quote Tim Keller again. Here's what Tim Keller said. He said the Bible is a as a complete revelation, revelation to us, as Jesus' sacrifice brings a complete salvation the bible is a complete revelation as Jesus' sacrifice brings a complete salvation if you want to be like jesus if jesus is your hero not just your friend if he is your master then follow the example and come under the authority of the scriptures but now here's a practical reason Man, mean it's so hard to grasp this truth because it's it's oxymoronic, it's kind of backwards to our way of thinking, but man, this is the truth that I've just found so evident in my life over and over and over. There is freedom in living under the authority of the Scriptures. I mean, freedom, getting out of bondage from living under the authority of the Scriptures. The question that's been raised since the beginning of time, the question that Adam and Eve struggled with since the beginning of time is, who is going to be in control of my life? It's the question that you live with. Am I going to be the the person who makes decisions in my life, or am I going to let somebody else like God come in and tell me how to, to live my life? Nancy Lee DeMoss, in her book Surrender, she points out that in the beginning, everything, all of creation and everyone, Adam and Eve, lived in surrender to God, and this did not in any way strip our freedom. And rather, here's what she said, surrender was and still is, The source and means to true true freedom and fullness. Do you want to be free in your life? Do you want to get away from the bondage of of the things that you struggle with? Then come under the authority of God's Word. Sometimes I I hear people, that they come to faith in Christ and they say something like this. And many many of you have heard people say this. They get saved and they say, Preacher, the weight of the world has been lifted off." Y'all, y'all heard people say things like that? I, man, that, that would be what I would say about my own life. Man, when I came to faith in Christ in 2001, it was just like the weight of the world was just lifted off my shoulders. Well, what happened? Man, I was set free. I, I, was, I was living in bondage. These, these things had a grip on me. They held me down. When I came to faith in Christ, I was, man, I got my freedom from those things. And you see, it's that same surrender that when we come to faith in Christ, you know, it's not saying a prayer. It's not getting dunked in the baptismal pool. It's not signing a card. It's it's full surrender to who Jesus is. When we come to him with that, and there is freedom in in fully surrendering our lives to him. And then he gives you life. You place yourself under the authority, and then the Bible begins to show you areas of your life that, that are not surrendered, and he'll continually ask you to surrender those things. And so think about it this way. When you come to faith in Christ, you're surrendered, right? Y'all with me? You surrender to Him. The weight of the world is lifted off your shoulders. Now you come under the authority of the Scriptures because this is your way of communicating with God. This is is the way in which God speaks to you. And then as you're reading the Scriptures, God begins to identify things in your life. He begins to show you things that you still need to surrender to Him. When you surrender the first time, you surrender your salvation, but he's, He's taking you through a process of cleaning you up. Think about it like this. When you come to faith in Christ, you anybody in here ever seen a thousand dollar bill? I know they make them. I've never seen them. Anybody else in here? Man, i be I am doing good if I get a thousand dollars in my checking account, right? And, and so but say you come to faith in Christ and you say, Sam's God. Hey God, here here's my everything. It's a thousand dollar bill. I've heard them make those. They don't make those five hundred dollar bills, delays at the bank. They used to make I've always heard they made $1,000 bills. I've never seen one. I've heard they made $500 bills. My daddy said he saw $500 bills, Okay? <laughs> Let's say I give Sam my, my everything $1,000. Sam's got it. Now, here's here's what God oftentimes does. Almost every situation. He gives you that $1,000 back, but it's important. Just about every day, God said, okay, I need, my, I need, I need you to surrender this amount Uh, Today it might be a quarter. Next day it might be a few dollars. Next day it might just be 50 cents. Next day it might just be a dollar. Next day it might just be a quarter. But every day, God's just saying, just keep surrendering. Just keep surrendering. Just keep surrendering. You see, that's what he does. As as you're reading and you're placing yourself under the authority of the scriptures, God's just saying, all right, you you need to surrender this pride. You need to surrender this and you need to surrender that. And here's what happens. Inevitably, you're going to get to a situation and God says, okay, I need you to surrender this. You're going to say no. And what's just happened is the Holy Spirit of God has just identified an area of your life that's in bondage. Because that's the area of your life that you're not willing to surrender. That's, that's the area of your life where you're saying, God, I know better than what you do in the midst of this situation. And you're not, in, you're not free anymore. You're living in bondage. That, that's the thing that has ultimate control over your life because you would rather have that than have God himself. And you see it all the time. God, I want to surrender my life to you, but, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to live the way I want to. My, my sexual ethics, I, I'm not going I, I'm going I know your word says to save myself from marriage. I know your word says to do it this way, but, but Lord, I'm going to do it my way because I think my way is ultimately best in my life. And see, what's happening is you're not in charge. You're in bondage to your sexual ethics. You're in bondage to your desires, and you're settling for something less than God's best. You say things like this, Lord, I want to follow you, but I'm not willing to relinquish control of my family to you. I've got to be in control. You've just identified an idol in your life. Or when you say, Lord, I want to surrender my life to you, but I don't want to share my faith. I don't want to do something that you're calling me to do because I'm afraid of what others are going to think of me. You see, you're living in bondage to the opinions of others. When you say, Lord, I'm going to decide what I want to do with my money, not you. You're in bondage to your finances. You're in bondage to your possessions. And here's what I want you to realize. If you can ever surrender those things, that's freedom. You're, You're living for these things at this moment. And God is saying, if you'll just come under the authority of the Scriptures and do things my way, you'll have true freedom. You'll have true life. But you'll never do that if you don't continue to daily surrender. Sometime right around 1950, there was an aspiring businessman. He was he was he was financially he he was going to be set. He was going to do great things. Just a brilliant guy. He proposed to his sweetheart, and he offered her the world. Ladies, I mean this is the, this is the kind of um, this is the kind of proposal you want. Hey, baby going to give you the world we're going to have a house in bel-air we're going to travel anything that you want i'm going to be able to give you i mean ladies that's what you dream of right it's so they get married and a couple years into their wedding into uh, to their marriage both husband and wife fall in love with jesus i mean it's, it's just one of those radical things and they fall in love with jesus One day, they're they're stirred by the reading of God's word. They place themselves in full surrender. They're reading in Mark chapter 8, which talks about surrender. And this couple, they get down on their knees and they begin to pray. And I quote, Lord, we surrender our lives irrevocably to you and to do your will. We want to love and serve you with all of our hearts for the rest of our lives. And going a step further, the, the husband said, we actually wrote and signed a contract committing our whole lives to Him, relinquishing all of our rights, all of our possessions, everything we would ever own, giving it to Him, our dear Lord and Master, everything. And God would use this couple by the name of Bill, and I pronounce his wife's name, Vanette Bright, to go on and start Campus for. Today, involved in ministry in over 200 different countries, roughly 25,000 full time staff, and it all happened because here was a couple who came under the authority of God's word and said, Lord, we'll give you victory. Fully surrendered to the Lord. So, what about you? God can do great and amazing things in your life. But it happens when you fully surrender. So why don't we do this? If you want to, you can bow your heads and close your eyes. If you want to, just sit there and look at me. That's fine, too. But I want you to think about this. Right where you are, you know, this I say this, and it's really between you and God. Nobody's here to make a show. Nobody's here to to beat you down or to tear tear you down or anything like that. But just really, have you really surrendered to the Lord? I mean, have you have you done something that is beyond just saying a prayer? I mean, have you really fully surrendered your life to the Lord? There is no salvation for people who just simply pray a prayer without surrendering their life to Christ. Over and over and over, Jesus pushed people away that were not willing to follow Him wholeheartedly. It, you, I mean, you just can't deny that fact. But those who fully surrender said, say, Lord, we'll follow you wherever you go. They become some of the greatest people in the face of the earth. And so that's my question to you this morning. Have you fully surrendered your life to Christ? Do you know that what John said in 1 John 5, 13, that he's written these things so that you may know that you have everlasting life? Do you know that? Today? If not, we're going to sing this song in just a moment. And man, if you've you never fully surrendered your life to Christ, I'm just going to be down front here. Would you just come? Say, Lord, say, say Pastor, today I want to fully surrender my life to Jesus. And then I had this thought. One of the greatest things the enemy does to tear apart churches is these little squibbles and squabbles, these relationships that are on the edge. You know that the Bible says that if um, you've got something against your brother, that you need to go to him or her, your brother or sister. That's coming under the authority of the Scriptures. So today, if there's a relationship that is hurting, today if you're going to place yourself under the authority of the Scriptures, you need to go in love and try to repair that. What about this? It's what we talked about in the beginning. Maybe you really do, you really have asked Jesus to be your Savior. You really have, you're trying to surrender to Him. But today, the Holy Spirit of God is just kind of saying, "You know what." You, you've allowed the culture to dictate your understanding of the Scriptures more than the Scriptures themselves. And today, you just know what the Spirit of God is saying. Today, you need to change that line of thinking. Today, you need to trust in my Word. Today, you need to, to surrender that part of your mind and that part of your life so that you can begin to grow and mature. You don't have to come confess that to me. I'm Jesus is your high priest, not me, but you need to do business with him so that your your understanding of the scriptures and your submission to them begins to get in line so that the Spirit of God can begin to bless you, to grow you, mature you. In your faith. So Lord, today I'm thankful for your word. Lord, you've what the psalmist said is, it's true. It's more to be desired to be desired than, than, than riches, than, than honey from the honeycomb, than anything else. Your commandments are true. There is freedom in them. Lord. And today, Father, if there is people under the sound of my voice that today, Lord, they're they're struggling, or with any of the things we've mentioned, Lord, today I'm asking. That, Lord, they would have the, the boldness and the courage to get their hearts right with you. Lord, may we be fully surrendered to you, every area of our life. So, Lord, would you move as only as you can during this invitation, Lord. It's out of my hands, Father. It's all in yours. And so Father have your way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.